Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. What I find to be true is we like black faces. We don't like black culture or black black, um, experience. You're listening to Absurdity with Ryan Becker, the podcast where we embrace the absurdity of everything. From here, we can move conversations forward by learning how to communicate effectively, listen intently, and love patiently. Welcome to Absurdity. Hey guys, you're listening to this week's episode of Absurdity. I am your host, Ryan Becker, and... We did originally have a solo episode planned for you this week, but last week I was down in Orlando, Florida, uh, just finishing my vacation, and then uh, I went further down into Orlando to a resort just down the road from Disney called the Carib Royale for our Southern Union pastors' meetings. And so I met with pastors from all over the Southern Union, and if you remember last episode when we talked about uh, the church structure a little bit, then you'll know that... This basically means that I'm that I was in a conference with, um, let's see, uh, pastors from Georgia, Tennessee, the Carolinas, Florida, the Gulf states like Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, part of Kentucky. So we met together, all families, spouses, kids, you name it, and they had awesome programming. And I gotta hand it to Roger Hernandez at the Southern Union because he knows how to throw a conference. It was absolutely awesome. And I brought my podcasting gear with me. So I was able to get this recording with a friend of mine who I actually live nearby uh, too, but he and I were able to actually meet up and get together at Pastors Conference since we both had basically the same schedule. So my friend that I have on this week is Evan Willis, and he is a regional conference pastor in the Charlotte area. And he actually pastors the regional conference church. That's about 10 minutes from one of my two churches. Now, if you don't know what a regional conference is, basically uh, it is their sister conferences to our regular conference level. So they have the same level of authority, same level of overreach as as our um, normal conferences do. Once again, if you remember our church structure, the difference is that these were specifically started by black people back in, um, I believe it was the 50s. And so 
Evan was really passionate about this topic and he wanted to talk about it. So we started to talk about it. And I, and I just need to let you know, normally when I record these episodes, we have an outline. We have at least some sort of questions when I have a guest on that help us to stay focused and stay on topic. This time we had no real time to sit down beforehand. We just kind of sat down and recorded, which meant that I had no outline to keep me focused. And my mind tends to wander and it tends to wander uh, when, when talking about uh, this kind of issue tends to wander towards racism because of preconceived notions and things that happen. And so I, and it is 100% my fault, I hijacked this conversation away from regional conferences and toward racism in general, because that's just where the questions in my mind took me. And after the episode, Ed and I sat down, we talked a little bit, we kind of reviewed what we had, what we had just discussed, and we decided that what we discussed was actually really valuable still. And we wanted to give it to you as, uh, consider this a part one. And in probably a couple months, he's going to come back on for a part two. And we're going to finish talking about regional conferences. But there is a lot in here from the very foundation of regional conferences all the way through the topic of racism and race relations that I think uh, is incredibly important and, and really, really good for us to uh, for us to gather some insights from. And you'll you'll notice just within the first like 30 seconds of the conversation that we had, uh, he already starts attacking at some of the things that I had been educated on and been educated on incorrectly. And so um, he, when he talks about the history of the uh, regional conferences and his family has some personal, uh, personal interactions, personal um, stake in what has happened with regional conferences, how they've started, how they formed, et cetera. So this is going to be an awesome conversation and I'm really, really excited for you to hear this and from you, for you to hear from Evan Willis. Uh, Evan is a father with several kids. He pastors, I believe it's between three or four churches, and the guy is insanely busy, and uh, he's also back in school studying. So he is, he is a workaholic in the best way possible. He is passionate about God's kingdom, and you're going to hear that in his voice. The other thing I'm really excited about uh, with this conversation is I recently invested some more money into this, and so uh, this is the first in-person interview that I've had with my brand new microphone setup where there's no noise bleed. So really excited for you to hear that too uh, and hear the improved audio quality when I can have two of the same or two people in the same room, which is absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to let this conversation play out and it's full unedited uh, glory. And hopefully we'll have Evan on sooner rather than later again to uh, follow up on part two to talk about regional conferences. And when we do that, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of object common objections to them continuing and reasons for them to continue, things like that. So we're going to try and give you kind of a fair balance between the two. But for this episode, we kind of dive in. And I think both of us were caught off guard by the direction that the conversation went, but it was super great. I learned a lot. And you're going to notice uh, he's going to list off a ton of books and just a couple days after we recorded this interview, he sent me a string of like 10 text messages with, uh, with links to all of the books. So if you want to check out the episode description, you can find all of the books that he mentions, or at least most of the books that he mentions in this episode. You can find an Amazon link to them so that you can pick them up and read them yourself. That way, cut out the middleman. You don't have to Google. You don't have to go to the bookstore. You can just click a link and it's right there for you. We are very intentional. We try to be very intentional about equipping our listeners with uh, as many resources and materials as possible. And I think I'm going to pick up a few of them 
as well so that I can educate myself a bit more on all of these issues. So here is Evan Willis to talk about regional conferences, racism, and becoming an ally and a friend. Hey guys, I am here with my friend Evan Willis from Rock Hill. Evan, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, my name is Evan Willis. As was previously stated, I am uh, the pastor of the New Life Seventh-day Adventist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm also a PhD student at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, in the program of curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in urban education. Um, I am a fourth-generation Adventist. That's good or bad. I'm not sure yet, but it's a thing. And um, I've primarily been educated in black Adventist spaces. Awesome. Very cool. So that's actually the exact opposite of me in, in that <laughs> respect is I grew up in traditionally gentrified white spaces. <laughs> yeah. uh, the the amount of times that I've been the minority in the group, unfortunately, yeah. has been uh, pretty small. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really excited for this conversation, mainly because... <sighs> if I'm being just a hundred percent Frank, a lot of white people talk about regional conferences and, and within Adventism, this topic becomes kind of our way. It's, it's like our billboard issue to say we're an ally to social justice (laughs) because we don't like regional conferences. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't realize that maybe there's some issues with that. Uh, and, or they don't like to think about it. Yeah. So we're on here to talk about regional conferences. And for those who are listening, who have no idea what a regional conference is. If you listen to our last episode, we talked, we kind of went over the church structure episode, but if you uh, don't know uh, what our church structure is, go back and check out the uh, responding to poor leadership episode and Mm -hmm. you can see a whole breakdown of it. But our regional conferences basically, uh, and you can correct me on some of these details if I'm wrong, Evan, but our uh, church back uh, during segregation uh, in an effort to reach a community of people and a social group that and a and a racial group that wasn't being reached effectively by the church created conferences that were meant to be temporary originally uh, to in order to reach this group of people mm-hmm. now obviously black people mm-hmm. so now to this point we still have regional conferences even though segregation is is a thing of the past the civil rights movement has passed um, and we still have these regional conferences and so there's a lot of debate in the church over whether or not we should integrate these conferences with the normal state conferences, uh, which way they should be integrated or, or, or even if they should exist at all. And Evan, so you can add any details to that you want. Well, let me say a couple of things probably I should add in my bio. Uh, being a fourth generation Adventist, my great grandfather was baptized in probably 1902 as an, and became Adventist minister. And he worked in the Negro department as a pastor um, and was in the 1946 meeting um, 46 or 44 meeting. I can't fully remember uh, where the vote passed for regional conferences. My understanding is that it was not a temporary thing. What had happened in 1944, there was a young lady who was at Washington Adventist University uh, outside of the hospital who could pass for white. What I mean by that is she was very fair-skinned. 
And while she was uh, in the hospital waiting to receive treatment at the Adventist hospital, um, when they found out she was black, they denied to treat her and left her outside the hospital and she died. Wow. And so the response from the church, um, not from the church, the response from many black Adventists was, we're tired of the racism. We want full inclusion. And the church did not want full inclusion. And so after full inclusion was denied, then regional conferences became, was kind of voted two years later in 46. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. See, so that 45, 45, 45, 45. Okay. See, so, and that's a different history than what I've, yeah. what I've heard about this. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is background. And I yeah. think, uh, you know, uh, I think part of white privilege is that with a lot of these things, uh, it's, it's optional to learn yeah. about for us. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that's right necessarily, no, no. but it, it is. And so this, like, I fully expect in yeah. this episode and in this conversation to be schooled, to be educated, and that's the hope yeah. uh, for me. So, um, okay, so kind of give us uh, a little bit of your, your overview or experience with regional conferences. You work in a regional conference, mm-hmm. even though you work partially right down the street from me. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. And... Um, so kind of give us your opinion on them or, or and, and kind of how you view them and, and how you want to address them uh, during our conversation together. One, I am actually, I might be a growing minority in this number as well. I'm actually um, affirming of regional conferences. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times when the conversation on the regional conferences happens, people view regional conferences as evidence of racism and i've seen that they say if there's well if we have a race problem then we need to integrate and that will cause us to uh, lose our ignorance Uh, the problem is we initially weren't segregated and there was still the continuance of racism um and so also i think you you said something very poignant uh Poignant, a little. It was a little wrong, but poignant because you you had said that it was created because of segregation. But um, regional conferences, with the inception of regional conferences, you find the advancement of the black work. Nineteen forty six, Pine Forge Academy is is built. Uh, you have Oakwood Academy down in the south. Uh, Pine Forge Academy is one of five uh, black run and black uh, owned boarding academies left in the country um, historically, which I'm a graduate of. Um, so you see Pine Forge Academy in its inception of 46. You see the black work being very, uh, you see growth in evangelism because the reality is with more control over funds, the black purpose or the black mission gets funded properly as opposed to getting scraps or getting, well, get what you can. So um, I, I'm, I, I'm affirming of regional conferences. Um, I was in the seminary when they had the big discussion about uh, regional conferences. That's when it became a thing because uh, Pastor Nelson at PMC um, talked about the need for a change or a restructuring a very um, heartfelt message that he delivered, uh, whether I agree with it or not, very heartfelt message. Um, 
And as they had the debate about regional conferences, it, it, it was interesting to me, a young lady from Canada said, we don't have racism in Canada. Really? Yes. Uh, but I inferred from that statement, I can't say this, what she meant, but I inferred from that statement that she stood there because on that premise because there's no existence of regional conferences because she said it was strange to her when she came down to America and saw black and white because that wasn't the way it was there. But what you'll find is blacks don't often talk about our experiences of racism with our white counterparts Yeah, because one more often than not, when we do, we're not believed. And secondly, we're almost blamed for it. We're, we're creating the problem by yeah, talking about it. you perpetuate it, it because yes. you're talking about yes. it, because you're trying to uh, assign blame yes. to this. Yes. yes. I also have a problem with the ideal, the idea that multiculturalism is the ideal. Okay. And what, what I mean by that is I think God has a plethora of ways. Multiculturalism also in homogenous spaces. But I have a problem when we, I was in seminary and a professor said, I believe God's blessing particular area because they're doing church right. They are having integrated, fully integrated churches, right? What, what I found to be true in my experience, and even as I sit here at the Southern Union meeting, what I find to be true is we like black faces. We don't like black culture or black, black um experience and the mere fact we had a black preacher day and he delivered an awesome message the music was music you know i don't i'm not going to say it's bad music it's just not my style of music but i always find interesting when i come to union meetings how there's no black soul represented on from the music standpoint and from the worship standpoint Hmm. yeah i you know i I can resonate with a lot of what you're saying. You know, up until recently, I was uh, very against regional conferences mm-hmm. existing. Uh, all through high school, all through college, I was that way. Up until literally mm-hmm. probably six months ago, mm-hmm. I was very, very big against them. And now my thinking has shifted, and mm-hmm. now I'm definitely seeing the need for it. Um, because I think a lot of the push for regional conferences to end is seeing it as a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Right? If we can just get that, then there's no racism anymore. Mm-hmm. And we can pretend like it doesn't exist mm-hmm. Uh, when it existed before, mm-hmm. and likely it will continue to exist mm. afterward. Yeah, uh, people aren't perfect, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, and and you're right. You know, I I've noticed that whenever in spaces that I've been in, uh, in churches I've been in, or worship experiences I've been in, we 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 like to say it's diverse, but we all try to meld to an acoustic guitar and a cajon. <laughs> And, yeah. um, you know, how great is our God or some yeah. of these cliche worship songs that yeah. have been sung for the past tw- three, yeah. two, three decades. Yeah. And, uh, no matter who, no matter what color is represented where it's yeah. the same worship style yeah. and it's, it's, it's black yeah. faces with white worship. Yeah. Um, and you know, there are so many, there may be some listeners uh, that are uncomfortable with that wording, but yeah. really that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, I've never walked into a black church and they've talked about diversity because there were white people there. Yeah. Um, and it, because that's not their your aim typically in a black church is is not about the color of skin, mm-hmm. um, whereas white people in this effort to not be racist mm-hmm. are way more focused on mm-hmm. skin, even if it's 
quote unquote positive. Yeah. You know, even if it's to try and meet some quota of diversity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's still a focus on something that ultimately yeah. uh, is distracting at the yeah. end of the day uh, as a as a mm-hmm. as a social issue mm-hmm. um, for church leaders or ministries leaders to mm-hmm. spend all of their time worrying about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I resonate with with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so with regional conference, if if regional conferences stay, mm-hmm. um, which I don't see them going anywhere mm. anytime soon, yeah. whether you like it or not. <laughs> uh, uh, so if regional conferences stay, uh, what do you envision uh, if, if, if multiculturalism is not kind of the end goal, right? So, so what do you envision the church looking like with these conferences working side by side? I think rebranding is an important step. Okay. And this is what I mean. There's no problem with regional conferences, but there is a problem if we keep regional conferences because I don't like white people or because you don't like black people. That's when it becomes a problem. Yes, I agree. And so regional conferences should say our brand is we focus on reaching black America, whether that's black middle class, black lower class, each church should, each church's mission to determine mission that is driven by the spirit of God should determine their approach to ministry. But if you think about the gospel, if you think about the new Testament, Paul went to Gentiles. He went across um, ethnic lines and, and national nationality lines because I shouldn't say, well, because I'm a regional conferences, because my emphasis is reaching black people that I can't allow white people to work with me. And I can't say a white man can't be used by the spirit of God to reach black people. You know, it's all about who is this, who is giving the mission. And I believe God still moves and breathes in today's society and he still gives calls and missions to people. And so it's not my job to say, well, you're white. We don't hire you. Mm. Or it's not, uh, and I'll I speak to an experience a friend of mine had <laughs> that speaks to the continuance of racism um, with, with a conference I won't name. Um, when he was coming out of undergrad, the, he applied to a conference. They had good communication. Then they said, send us a picture. He sent a picture wow. and they never responded. Wow. After that picture was sent, there was not a response. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um yeah, okay. So so and I agree with that. Yeah. Um I think I think the rebranding then um and you know, honestly, I really think there should be some sort of um you know, I like what what our conferences have done mm-hmm. um in that we've done a lot of pastors meetings together mm-hmm. and and there's kind of at least some inklings of intentional effort yeah. to to work together yeah. alongside each other. Yeah. And I love that you and I have met together yeah. several times. You yeah. shared your pulpit with me, yeah. um, and I fully intend <laughs> to do the same. Uh, that will that will happen. I just yeah. don't know when yet. Yeah. Um, what are you doing this week? At <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's some inklings of that, and I think a, a, an intentional focus and, and branding that mm-hmm. way to work together mm-hmm. in ministry is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this now. 
how far do you think this goes, right? So we've got black churches for black America um, and, um, you know, I don't want to say white churches because they're just kind of churches. (laughs) It just seems weird. I I don't know. Uh, But maybe that's maybe that's just me being overly cautious or Mm -hmm. um, but how far does the line go then when you've got um, Asian Americans or you've got Hispanic Americans, Spanish Americans, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how far do we draw that line uh, with regional conferences is or do we just stick with what we have because we already have it? Well, you know, regional conferences, it's really about leadership because, you know, I'm I'm born and raised and I'm a son of the Alleghenies Conference. Uh, but we have Korean churches. We have um, obviously Haitian churches, uh, uh, Latino churches. Um, so we have churches of every shade ourselves. Yes. Um, it just seems to me really about at this point, because I know Carolina conference and, and state conferences have um, people of all shades as well yes. in their churches. So, I know one thing, you know, this part of it is historical, right? Regional conferences came into play when America was dominated by, uh, and I got this, 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 con- this, the phraseology I'm about to use from, um, so critical race theory. Um, we view the world in a white black binary in America. Yeah. So we think everything's about white and black. And sometimes we exclude the other minorities, right? So, uh, as we consider that, I, how far it goes, I would say, is up to how, I guess, demogra- demographics feel that they should have. Because sometimes the issue is maybe the Latino church or maybe the uh, Asian church feels like they don't have representation. And so I think conferences leadership should do what they can to make sure there's proper representation and that each voice is heard. Gotcha. Okay. So basically if, if uh, Hispanic people feel like there's no representation, there's no, then it's kind of on them to say, all right, we need, we need to move in, in some direction. And there's onus on current conference executives to be intentional mm-hmm. about create or, or, or having space for representation. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a give and take yeah. on both ends. Yeah. And I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that's fair. I was just curious. I know that that's yeah. a comic. It's like, well, what about everyone else? Yeah. Um, are we going to create all these for them? And, and yeah. I don't think that's necessarily yeah. the case. Yeah. Um, but I do think representation is really, really important uh, yeah. on everyone's uh, for everyone. Yeah. So um, with regional conferences, I know that, that one of the things uh, that I learned or realized um, as, as I used to fight for reintegration mm-hmm. um, was that basically when you're fighting for integration of regional conferences to the normal state conferences, mm-hmm. um, you're asking a lot of people to give up their jobs, their livelihoods, and mm-hmm. Uh, because there is not space for all of those conference executives mm-hmm. to move over. Over, yeah. And um, and who do you think would be the first on chopping block? It would be us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be. And everyone would say, "Well, it's because you guys came 
you're, exactly. you're the newest you're the ones. New ones. So <laughs> obviously, you know, you just reintegrate into the old ones. But yeah. but I think that speaks to okay. So the white people don't lose their jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the black people do. Yeah. And, and so there's this. You create um, this. There's this weird tension that now exists mm-hmm. if you are calling for integration mm-hmm. because you you now are assuming automatically that someone is going to lose their job and mm-hmm. integrate somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was that was a huge thing for mm-hmm. me that I went, whoa, okay, I need to take a step back here mm-hmm. and, and figure out what my assumptions are about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that vein, have you encountered any assumptions that people carry about regional conferences um, that maybe um, you can... Uh, speak to or answer to um, or clarify on? Maybe not. I don't know. That was just something that I had experienced. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm more so experienced what people think about. Yeah. 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 And I can speak about some things we feel. Hmm, some things I feel. I'll, I'll say I. I can't speak for the collective <laughs> of black people. That's fine. Um, but I've experienced this idea that um, we chose this, you know, that, that blacks have uh, been dis- divisive and that we chose this. Uh, I've also experienced this idea that the issue, one of the issues on the black side is that we have to lose our thirst for power. And I don't think it's a thirst for power. No. I think it's about representation because even, even the context of the black work, what you what you find is that the Caribbean Americans become concerned if there's not Caribbean representatives who hear and think about them. Because it, it, as much as we talk about the spirit of God being involved and and he 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 should be at the foreground of what goes on in the church, the reality is all of us have blind spots. Yeah. Based upon how we've lived and grown up. Right. So most of you don't know this. I'm half Caribbean. My mother is from the British Virgin Islands. Okay. And so sometimes I'm around regular African Americans who don't have a very high opinion of Caribbeans and they say oh. things disparaging, uh, thinking that I'm full black because I don't have an accent. I'm full African American. And so there are these issues of um, representation. And I don't think it's necessarily about power. Now, for some, it may be about power. So we're not denying that at all, but I don't think the issue is about power. Uh, also, I, 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 I come across this belief, and I'm sure you agree with me here, that people believe that there's no more racism, and so there's no longer a need yes, unfortunately. For, for regional conferences. And, and I can point to some stuff. I, I'll say this, right? Um, I talked to a young lady... Adventist person who was part of a major multicultural church and um, she was there and she kind of got tired of the church because one day uh, some urban black people showed up and they got caught up in the praise and the worship and they got excited and 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 uh, a Asian lady came to uh, her after service and said, you need to get your friends. Tell them that's not how we do things here. And so 
that's one sign. And I'm currently reading a book called Racism Without Racist by huh. Eduardo Bonvilla. <laughs> I want to say it's less him Silva, but I don't want to be wrong. Uh, and he covers this concept called colorblind racism. And he, he kind of details historically, you know, after the civil rights movement um, and after uh, a lot of laws like affirmative action yeah. uh, were passed, white people in power had to be very careful how they said things now out of fear of having a lawsuit, right? And so now racism has changed. You know, you're not going to have someone call you the N-word. I mean, you will, but yeah, <laughs> it's that, far and yeah, few yeah. in between. Exactly, yeah. Uh, we, we, we've we moved past that. They think that's a redneck thing. But we just don't realize um, how deeply entrenched race is as a social structure. Because it's it, racism, We and this is the mistake we make as well. We say, well, it's a heart issue. That's only part of it. It's a social structure. Exactly. It's an education. It's a. Yeah. It's from the bottom up. You grow yeah. up in this social structure, in yeah. this social construct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so, because of the social structure of race, because because and, and there are white people who don't don't have a black friend, and they may have a black friend, but they don't. They've never lived in black spaces, never gone to black churches, never gone to black schools. Yeah. They own their only introduction to black people is what Jay-Z says is what they see on the television screen. And that's not who I am. Yeah. I, uh, yes, I'm, I'm black, but I'm also individual. I am shaped by my experiences. I'm shaped by this world. And so, yeah, I'm black, and there may be some similarity Jay Z and I, and and, <laughs> and 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 all these other rappers and I, but I'm different. But but I just want to think about this: How do these biases, these presuppositions, impact how I interact with people of color? And 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 by nature of being white, you are in a privileged power position that I don't have the advantage of. Mm-hmm. And how you interact with me, how you distribute funds for my schooling shapes and impacts me. And although you say it's not about race, deep down inside, your view of me as a black person does impact what you're doing. Yeah. Even in the church. And th- this is something I'm, well, my research interests. As Adventism, we've painted Adventism as this utopia, this perfect and this is why many of us leave the church. Millennials leave the church because we expect the church to be perfect. And we realize these, these, these Negroes <laughs> and, and these, these white people are, are crazy. It's like, man, why am I even joining this? You know, we, we talk about the Pope. We talk about Rome. We talk about non-heaven. We talk about first day preachers. And in actuality, we have some of the same struggles, some of the same issues. And so I'm, I'm this, this idea, you know, uh, I, I picked this book cover and, and I've heard soon what it's be about, but I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, why our kids must come to our schools. And I'm a strong proponent of advanced education, right? I, yeah. I love advanced education. But we are not exempt from the racist ideas that have existed in America and in this world. Absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. so, yes, I want my kids to be in Adventist school. 
Yes, I want them to be, but we, and, and, and the problem is, if we don't realize how we've been impacted and shaped by the things going on, we're bound to re- reproduce those things and do it to an even greater extent because, oh, no, I'm not racist. I'm having this Christian. I love uh-huh. the Lord. But your whiteness does impact your worldview and your Adventism. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think of growing up, and, and like I, like we said at the beginning, you know, we grew up in, in yeah. opposite racial circumstances, yeah. and I grew up never having to assimilate, Yeah. right? Uh, and I know there's a term for it. Yeah. I just can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, when, a, when a black person walks in and they're, they're the minority in the room, they yeah. have to change their accent, they have to change their voice. W.E.B. Du Bois calls it double consciousness. Okay, yeah. See, I've never had to have that. Yeah. And the closest I've come to experience that, Experiencing that is when I have been, the very few times mm-hmm. I've been the minority in the room. But mm-hmm. I've walked into a, a world where that's never had to be yeah. the case for me. Whereas for for many black people, especially in America, mm-hmm. you walk into any of our Adventist schools, mm-hmm. even and yeah, you yeah. actually you absolutely have to have a double consciousness. Yeah. You're the only one in the room who yeah. is black, and right. no one is talking to you yeah. about the value that you have as a person. Yeah. They're talking to white people because yeah. the system has is, is been built yeah. in that fashion. Yeah. And, and it's simple. And really, sometimes it's little things that send the message. Like, you probably would never notice this. But there are times that NAD or the GC sends me videos show my church, and there's only white people. Uh, there's, yeah. not, there's not a black person on the screen. And it's hard to remember. I say, I, I, I mean, I pay tithe. I'm invested. I love the Lord. I work for the church and you don't, you can't, and, 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 and it's not about having a black face because sometimes they get some of the whitest black people put on there. <laughs> and so it's, it's, I love the church. I love the Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't imagine myself ever leaving. I love the Lord. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm on the same page. And I just, I just want us to be honest with ourselves. It's accountability. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's really what it is at its base yeah. level. It's, it's calling the church to accountability in these yeah. areas. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it is, and it's really hard for us to sometimes uh, put down those biases. Yeah. You know, I uh, I shared this story back in episode two of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I even preached it before, and mm-hmm. this is actually one of the hardest things for me to admit mm-hmm. uh, because I was one of those people that like I'm not racist. I'm not racist, but yeah. you know, just two years ago, a year and a half ago, I was driving yeah. through my apartment complex, typical middle class apartment complex. Yeah. And I grew up, where I grew up, suburbia, white, white suburbia, right? Yeah. I was always taught that across the railroad tracks, quote, yeah. unquote, that's where low income is, and low yeah. income was always mm-hmm. black people. So subconsciously, you just, mm-hmm. you just kind of associate the two. Mm-hmm. Driving through my apartment complex, and I see this black guy out on his porch, and the first thought in my head was, wow, that guy did good for himself. First <laughs> thought in my head. And yeah. I caught it. I yeah. caught it immediately, and I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? But yeah. there was this moment of it wasn't, Anything that anyone explicitly taught me to think, yeah. no one maliciously said, Ryan, black people can't have yeah. nice things yeah. Yeah. Uh, or even middle class yeah. things, yeah. right? It was, but it's this subtle training, yeah. the, an environmental uh, impact that happens over, for me, literally decades, over 20 yeah. years yeah. That, 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 that culminated in that one thought. And, yeah. and I can't remember other times that it's happened, but yeah. um, I can't imagine how many more. Yeah. And there likely were. And I said, that's probably the Holy Ghost. Because you, you say, you don't know how many times before you had the thought. The Holy Ghost has to reveal us to ourselves. Yes. And that's Absolutely. what um, Henry Johnson, he was talking about that today in his uh, Fifty Shades of Passion, which was good. 
Good yes, question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you see, the funny thing is, um, my dad's a dentist. My mom's a church school teacher. I didn't grow up in the projects, but I went to church up the street from the projects. Um, uh, when I, while I was growing up, my parents would not send me to the white Adventist school. We had no school. They sent me to a non Adventist school because there's been a history of racism. Yeah. You know, people being called the N word. And the problem is you can't control every knucklehead in society, but it's how the response was. It was the fact that you could call them the N word. I could hit you. And I'm the only person punished. The only person. Yeah. I can understand. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be violent. Okay. Maybe I should get maybe a more severe punishment. Maybe. But for the other person to get nothing. And, and, and that is a repeated story. You talk to, out, and this is a made-up figure, so, but I'd say <laughs> nine out of ten yeah. black Adventists who've gone to white Adventist schools have experienced a racial slur, been called darky, been called chocolate. And when they've retaliated or seen someone retaliate, they're put out of the school. Yeah. But the person who did it is given a pass, saying, oh, he or she didn't mean it. You shouldn't respond to that way. It kind of all falls on you. Um, and the funny thing is you say you've never, you've never had to live with double, double consciousness. But the reality is for me, outside of my first five years of schooling, I, since I was in primary black spaces for a time, I had single consciousness which sort of lulled me to sleep huh. because I mean, I went to all black middle school, Adventist school. Uh, and I had the privilege of being an Adventist member. My mom was a, the principal. So I was very comfortable. I went to Pine Forge Academy, uh, all black. So I didn't have to think about that. Went to Oakwood, all black. Wow. Didn't have to think yeah, about yeah. that. But then I went to seminary I, I re-experienced double consciousness and it made me very upset um, because I had to, you have to say to yourself, what, what does he mean by that statement? Because you, you, even as a black person, we try not, most of us try not to use the race card because yeah, we absolutely. know you said that it's going to cause a bunch of problems. So we try to find every reason why what the teacher said was not racist. <laughs> It's literally trying. It's the epitome of trying to find the best in someone. Yes, <laughs> and every reason why you know this white kid didn't mean what he said that way, like you know, uh, this missionary kid wrote a letter, and this is this for all my white friends listening. This is code where you should never say to a brother, right? Code where you should never say to a black person, "I'm not racist," but Don't call us reverse racists either. Don't. That's 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 not. That. A guy wrote an article in the Andrews newspaper about Black History Month being reverse racism. Huh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. These are things like. It's just like why why why. This this is pushing multiculturalism to to such an extent that yeah. you're you're literally shutting out culture. Yeah, 
<laughs> that, that, yeah. At that point, that's what you're doing. You're shutting yeah. out culture yeah. for the multi yeah. part. And there's no, there is no truth that there is never any culture. What will happen is normative white culture will become the dominant trait, like it especially has. in white spaces. Because we have to realize, many of us black at Venice, we're kind of white too. Because there's this book that I need to read that one of my mentors, uh, Dr. George Russell C., a junior recommended to me um, called Seeking a Sanctuary. It looks at Adventism uh, perpetuating the American dream. And it, you know, my great grandfather was the son of a slave, right? Um, his children became bachelor's degrees, master's degrees. My grandfather, my great grandfather did not have a college education. He and Adventist, his kids got privileges, right? Oakwood, PUC, EMC. Yeah. Um, their kids, my dad's a dentist. His sister was a speech pathologist. Pathologist. Another aunt we won't really talk about. Then I have some cousins. One was on TV. One worked for Brian Gumbel. One was on NBC, ABC, uh, Good Morning America. Had a role in Good oh, Morning wow. America. Cool. Um, a, a teacher and they, they uh, doctors, you know. Yeah. And so... After becoming Adventist and embracing the theology, which I'm not saying is bad theology, but we become a little white on the inside because we move out of the urban spaces where those first who first joined lived. And we get a couple of, I, I can speak experience the summer of uh, 2002. I was, uh, we had a summer league at my church. We invited the, the community kids. I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't know how they would respond. Huh. I lived in the suburbs. I was in a controlled private black school. Gotcha. Where only certain kinds of blacks get into this school. Yep. Um, so I had to learn myself, blacks aren't all criminals. Because of how... Even though, you know, I went to church with a lot of blacks, but there's some kind of clientele that come to church regularly. Yep. And those are the ones I was used to. So I had to adjust to those urban, uh, inner city blacks, thinking that they would do no harm when really they're people, they're people like you and I. Now, they're not the same as you and I, but they're people. Hmm. Um. And just like I wouldn't walk on a plane and rob someone, they wouldn't walk. You know, they come to church, they have a high view of God, reverence, and oftentimes you'll find that members act worse than the inner city kids when you come to playing sports and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I, I had, uh, I don't know if you know him, Garrison Hayes yeah. uh, came on the podcast uh, several episodes ago, and we, we talked about his experiences with racism. I asked him, I said, hey, what was an experience with this that you or a loved one has, has had? Obviously, there's several, but mm -hmm. I, I asked that question. You just share, you've shared a few on here. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he, one of the, the comments he made to me after he shared that was that normally when people ask that, they're asking because they want to disprove it after mm -hmm. you've shared it and explain mm -hmm. it away. Mm -hmm. um, and I never, I mean, like I said, maybe I've done this. I don't remember doing mm -hmm. this, but I, I definitely could see that. It was a surprise to me mm -hmm. that this was one of the few times that he, he had done that. And I think, um, 
I think one of the things that we need to do better is mm-hmm. just listening to those experiences mm-hmm. and and taking them for what they are mm-hmm. um, and, and acknowledging them and mm-hmm. accepting them for what they are mm-hmm. uh, because there is value in our experiences, whether yeah. positive or negative experiences, yeah. there's value in them because yeah. we grow from them. We are, yeah. we are the sum of, I mean, I don't want to say the sum total. There's obviously yeah. more than just our experiences, but yeah. we are large in part who we are because of mm-hmm. those experiences. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing yeah. um, that. I want to ask you this. Now, this is a personal question. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about regional conferences. We've kind of shifted into general mm-hmm. racism. But I was talking with a friend of mine last week, White, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to know exactly <laughs> when I when I when I say what I'm about to say. He's going to know exactly that I'm talking about him. Yeah. Uh, but he shared with me he was he was in a Facebook comment discussion about mm-hmm. and racism came up and he tried to make a point. He either tried to make a point or ask a question, and a black person responded to him and said no, you're white, you don't understand, uh, you don't know the black experience, so you have no room to talk or mm-hmm. you have no room to ask questions, just don't even bother engaging in this. And um, so and so he's like, okay, I get that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know your experience, so it's kind of hard for me to intelligently have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, working towards a future where, I don't want to say integrated yeah. with the conferences, but working side by side well... How do we have those conversations? How do white people engage in those conversations um, in a way that 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 shutdown doesn't always happen? Um, because we are coming from a place of ignorance, right? Like I, I entered this conver- this conversation, and you immediately had facts for me that, <laughs> that corrected me, right? And yeah. I'm learning, which yeah. is great for me. Yeah. Um, but I have a podcast as an excuse to have the mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does it? How, man, what do we do? I because that genuinely in a normal conversation. Um, Sometimes I'm afraid, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, which mm-hmm. I get. Um, that's part of what racism is. That there's mm-hmm. minorities that walk on eggshells every day. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is figure out how none of us walk on eggshells mm-hmm. at some point. So, so is there any advice or any answer to that question that you might have? Blacks don't like talking about our experiences with racism. Mm. So I think you have to be at a certain extent comfortable in a relationship with that person before I even bring up that that conversation because, you know, great. Yeah. Um, I, I never forget this. And this is really my first undeniable encounter with racism. I was a grown man, you know, huh. I have people I could finger and say, I'm pretty sure that was racist. The first undeniable racist experience I had, there was, I was pastoring in, in in Aiken and Johnson, South Carolina. And um, I, it's even hard for me to talk about it. I feel ashamed like I did something wrong. Wow. Um, I was up the street from my townhouse that I was renting. Not even up the street. I was literally from this, so let's say from this part of the room all the way to the end of the room. From my so from my town feet away, yeah, yeah, yeah. From my from my townhouse, I was parked in someone's cul-de-sac, trying to get a dress to go visit a member sick in the hospital. A white man, who I've seen, I've spoken to, but whose 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 grandsons play with my my child, walks up to my car. I'm suit tied, car seats in the back. Says he's just standing there looking at me. So Rodama went up thinking something's wrong. I said, can I help you? He says, um, are you lost? I said, no. 
I'm just looking for an address. Well, maybe I can help you. No, it's in Columbia. You can't help me. We're, we're nowhere near Columbia. Well, well, what are you doing here? What? I live there. I've spoken to you. He says, okay. And I wrote my window. I said, okay. And, and he takes a picture of my license plate. Are you serious? What? And it took everything within me not to get out the car, take his phone, and launch it. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. But the reality is, that happened just with Trayvon Martin. So I know I'm not allowed to respond with such rage because I don't know if he has a gun. Well. And I have kids i got to raise. I don't know what his response is going to be, but I do know whatever happens, the cops aren't going to believe me. Yeah. So... Stuff like that, like, it's like, we don't like talking about that. We talk, and here's the thing. Blacks talk about it amongst ourselves. We don't talk about it outside of ourselves. And so, I think, one, it's it's by becoming a friend. Um, and... Don't act like you belong, but don't act like you're a stranger either. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Because that, yeah, if you act like you belong, it's like, okay, chill. But if you act like you're a stranger, it's like, why are you asking so many questions? Yeah. So it's kind of has to be more natural, you know. Um, and I think about my dad, you know. Uh, my dad's a 6'4", light-skinned, green-eyed black man. Um, and... I, I I was four years old. He told me this story, and I'll never forget. This is when I kind of realized this is a different world. He, um, Flint, Michigan, has a history of racism. Yes, a history long before uh, you have the, the 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 water dumping. A history of racism and racist cops. Same as Detroit, Michigan. I've heard people recently say that they'd prefer Detroit over. Flint in yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. He was there visiting my aunt's boyfriend for the Thanksgiving holidays. They were driving around. The cops stopped them and they said they fit the description. That's that's cold work. Oh yeah. That's cold work. Took all of his took all, said there was drugs in the car, weapons, there was nothing there. Then they drove off, let him go. They come back, stop him again. Everything out of the car. Take the seats, everything, looking for it. Don't find anything. Hold them at gunpoint. Put a shotgun in my dad's back. Wow. And my dad, we're we're big intimidating looking people, but we're very ticklish. And so I guess maybe when they were searching for tickle, and he was chuckling, and so he the the cop locked the gun. You know, loaded. He he was a shotgun. He um. I don't even know what to call it. I'm not a gun man. But he um, clocked the gun gun and said, what you left in that boy? So, um, yeah, I mean, those things shape how we interact with with people. Um, So I, I, I think the best thing is become a friend, become part of that family. Because we're all, at the end of the day, 
race is a social construct. We're all a part of the human family. We all are. Yes. And in time, I don't want to say color becomes unimportant, but in time, as bonds are formed, color doesn't become a barrier that it is naturally. Yeah. It doesn't come a, become a reason for division. Yeah. Like, like it is, yeah. With certain people, because structurally, it's still, you know, still hard. But I'm, I'm saying there's certain people, you know, I can talk to like a white man or a black man. And there are some people who think they're cool with white, black people. Like, I mean, we, we'll hang out with them, we'll talk to them. We don't trust them, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, because it's, it's just like, we pay attention to, to, to cold words. The guy we were friends with in the seminary, he say some things, and our friends swore him down. He's racist, I'm telling you. He don't like black people. And he, he he's still friendly with them. He's still nice to them, but he don't trust them. Huh. Man, that's... See, I... Hey, again, thank you for sharing yeah. that story. I... The reason I appreciate those stories, especially here, mm-hmm. um, is because there's a lot of my listeners that don't hear those stories, yeah. um, and I actually know that that in, to previous uh, to previous episodes, people I've I've heard some reactions mm-hmm. from friends or or through friends mm-hmm. of people they've showed episodes to, and they're like they're blowing that way out of proportion, or they're yeah. you know they're they're making that up or something, yeah. but these are real. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sitting across a table from you yeah. and I'm seeing your eyes. I'm seeing your body language. Yeah. Like, this is real. There's yeah. no making that up. Yeah. Um, and, and so I really appreciate this because yeah. it does help further the conversation for those yeah. who don't even realize racism is what it is. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you this as, as we kind of wind down to okay. uh, a lot of white people as, as we realize, oh, racism is an issue, right? Yeah. The next step for us is to way overcompensate. Mm-hmm. You, I know you know exactly what I mean yeah. when I say that, yeah. but we, we tiptoe around everything and we're afraid to just yeah. uh, uh, just say things up front or, mm-hmm. or, or, or ask questions. So how do we, uh, how, how do, how would you say um, white people can, can, uh, avoid that that step of overcompensation, or do you think it's just a natural part of the process? It's a natural natural part of the process, but natural part of the process. Um, okay, but there is a thing called the white savior complex. Yes. Um. J.K. J. Carter. J. Carter. I can't remember his last name. Theologian from Duke has a has a Q. You, you ever hear Q ideas? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah I've heard of. He has that. a Q idea on the white savior complex, and he does it from a movie, the movie Avatar. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he talks about when white people try to intervene, they um they try to. They try to do it from their perspective. When he talked, he says, Jesus, to save humanity, became like us. And so we don't need a white savior. Because what we need are advocates. Like We don't need you to come in and fix our community. We don't need you to come and fix and reorient our church. We need you to advocate for Say it again for, for the people in the back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's the natural response. And it's good, it's well-intended. It's wrong. Yeah. Because people in poverty 
have minds. Black people have minds. And this is this is church. I mean, even black people, even even black Adventists, we do this. We say, well, let's go in and save the poor, the poor. Let's save the urban. And we gotta realize we have to empower them yeah. in helping them. We're not just we're not going in to save them. We're empowering them and helping them, advocating for them, lifting our voices for them. With not for them, with them. Yes. Because we they 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 and that's something I'm learning as part of this PhD program I'm in. Uh a big thing, and this is just I'm not gonna go deep in this, but the big thing in America going on right now is where rich people are trying to come into urban spaces and trying to fix poor people's problems. You have these um, banks and these other corporations who are trying to use their money to invest in schools, Bill Gates foundation, uh, Dell foundation, and they aren't having any success because they're doing it from the outside. Money's not the solution. They're, these people have the solution. We need to work, come alongside them, and not try to overpower them. Um, so, what's the original question? <laughs> I kind of got. Um, how can white people prevent yeah. uh, the overcompensation? A- advocate. You know, join us in the fight for equality. Call racism racism don't make us the crazy one person crying racism um and this boils down to i think what what i think i'll wrap i'll wrap up with this wrap up okay yeah i wrote a term paper this past semester on education in south africa and i was confronted with things i just didn't realize that missionaries have been complicit in the conquest of Africa. Huh. It's not about... When, when, when black people say Christianity is the white man's religion, it's because Christianity has been whitewashed. Oh, merged absolutely, yeah. with Western values. And they will say explicitly, the goal of what we're doing is to help savages become human. To help black people become cultured. These Africans become cultured and learn our ways. But a part of the goal, uh, and this book um, I read, I try to give sources so people can... Yeah, no, no, this is, this is great. Um, education in South Africa from 1652 to 1935, I think. That was the name of the book. I can't remember. I, I, I'll come back. I'll send it to you so you can put it on afterwards. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, one of the the people in charge um, of education in South Africa um, said, what would it argue for? Yes, here it is. Here it is. Because it referenced the, this book, referenced another book, talked about how Europe. Defrauded Africa, something like that. Uh, bankrupted Africa, something like that. Um, education um, stratifies. There's a, strat- there's a social, there's a hierarchy system in education that put A, B students to the front, 
the enough students at the back. But the goal is you you pick a few black people, make them feel special. A few a few Africans, make them feel special, make them feel like they they belong in Europe. Cause them to prefer Europe to Africa, and then use them to exploit Africa with cap for capitalist means. So make them the figureheads of these corporations or these companies so oh. that they can exploit yeah. Africa. And they think they're helping Africa, thinking Africa needs their help. And that's, that's what happened. That's why I'll get upset if someone says, well, at least when we came to take y'all from slavery, that we took y'all and gave y'all America. When in reality, you've bankrupted Africa. That's why Africa is the way it is in yes. certain places. Um, and so they use Christianity they use education in order to colonize and conquer Africans. And they've conquered theology. And we have to learn through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to help us in this process. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, how to decolonize the gospel. Because... If my gospel only preaches about my personal purity, but doesn't preach about the social ills of society, if my gospel doesn't challenge and call racism by its right name, because you cannot, you cannot talk about the end of, of racism without merging that with the gospel attacking the system instead of the hearts of individuals. And so the Adventist message must begin to address social ills, not just personal piety. It can't just be about me stop looking at porn. It can't just be about me stop fornicating, me stop lying, me stop stealing. It has to be about me not exploiting the powerless, me raising my voice for the orphan. That's what the Bible talks about. Absolutely, yeah. Book I recommend, Old Testament Ethics for the People of God. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put, uh, hopefully I can find a link to it and put it in the yeah. show notes as well. Uh, thank you for that. I... And and that's I, I agree. It's like missionaries, and I, I've talked about mission trips in another episode as well. But but missionaries go to a place to make it more like where the missionaries come from, mm-hmm. instead of going into those places and saying, "How can we help you be the best that you are, mm-hmm. the best that you can be with mm-hmm. where you are, and, mm-hmm. and embrace who you are mm-hmm. as a valued creation of God?" Mm-hmm. And that is a completely different mindset. And let's be honest, it's a lot messier. Yeah. It's a lot. Of, it's a longer process, which mm-hmm. means that you don't get to have the feel good mission trip. Yeah that you wanted to have yeah. in two weeks, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a much messier process. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, sin is messy, grab a mop uh, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, get into the thick of it and, yeah. and, and work on, on this. And um, so I, you know, I, I myself want to be an advocate. Yeah. Uh, part of, part of that is, is I try not to talk about racism on this show without having someone in the room yeah. who can speak on it with yeah. a different perspective and authority. Yeah. Um, and, I'm trying to figure out more ways in my life that I can do that. So these conversations are really yeah. just helpful for me to figure yeah. a lot of this out. Uh, regional conferences, you've taught me a lot today. Uh, you've taught me some of the, still some of the biases that were in my education regarding this because I really did. I thought they were temporary. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was their entire point. At, yeah. And I can, I could give you a list of about 50 other people that yeah. I know personally that believe yeah. that same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I hope they listen to this and yeah. their mind has yeah. changed. But um, and- and I, I throw a plug in. I'm not really a part of the group, but um, I affirm the group Advance for Social Justice. Okay. You know, join that group. It's not just for black people because 
blacks alone, minorities alone, can't fight this fight. We need white advocates to join yes. a side with us, not to come and take over, <laughs> but to come to work with us in this fight for equality and yes. justice. Yes, absolutely. Um, Evan, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Uh, I really loved this conversation. Uh, as we go, do you have any final thoughts for anyone, uh, any final encouragements or about anything we've talked about or, or separate, whatever you want to share? Uh, I want to affirm you and what you're doing. I think you're doing a great thing. I think the Lord's using you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. As a pastor and in the podcast. Um, I, I will admit the Lord has a work on my heart and how I feel towards white people. Get on my heart and and he has to reshape my thinking because I naturally don't trust white people. Naturally. And this is a growing process. So, you know, keep praying for me. You know, uh, in this whole process, I'm growing. I'm being challenged. The Lord's working on me. And the same way I hope he's working on you. And if I can admit that I have issues the Lord needs to work on with me, surely you can admit yeah. the Lord has something to work on with you. And if we work on this thing together, pray, uh, and join the fight for equality, I'm sure that the Lord will will, will make sure we all get into the kingdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Evan, uh, again. And I look forward to hopefully one day having you back on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Talking for sure, about for sure. Uh, other things and working yeah. with you in, yeah. in Rock Hill. Yeah. Um, but, man, really appreciate you, your journey, uh, and your story. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so that was our conversation with Evan Willis. And at this point, it is now my turn to apologize to you. In previous episodes, my voice has probably sounded very silky smooth. But in this episode, because of my lovely allergies whenever I'm in the state of Florida, you can hear a lot more, uh, what's the word, congestion in my voice. Sorry for that. Thanks for sticking through. I think it was valuable for the conversation, but I just want to let you know that's why I sound sick. It's not because I'm actually sick. It's because my nose hates and my sinuses hate me. That's why. So with that said, thank you so much for listening to Absurdity. If you want, it helps me out big time. You can hit that subscribe button on iTunes or whatever podcatcher app you use. And if you wouldn't mind, please go on iTunes and leave us a review. Leave me a review so that I can uh, get your feedback. And also it helps with visibility of the podcast on iTunes. And lastly, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash absurditypodcast. If you want to support this show financially in any way and help me keep the keep the lights on in here, I will greatly appreciate it. It it is super helpful for me as I have monthly costs to keep this thing running. Um, so please go head on over there. Consider giving me even just a dollar a month, whatever you can afford. Um, I think we are moving in the direction where uh, content creators are are going to be um, supported by their fans more directly. Um, by these sorts of donations and gifts. I think we're seeing uh, content creators move in this direction right now. So I'm hopping on that bandwagon and that train uh, myself. So if you like, if you love the show, hit subscribe. Uh, let me know how you feel in the reviews. And if you love the show enough to financially support it, then you're more than welcome to head on over to our Patreon and give there. And please know I appreciate it. And all of my patrons get either full episodes a week in advance if they're solo episodes or you get the raw interviews and conversations uh, up to a week in advance. 
of the episode actually releasing. So thanks guys so much for listening to Absurdity and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.